Good morning. Thank you, Tommy. Um, good morning. <laughs> He's with me. Y'all get along. Um, man, so excited to be here this morning and so excited to read this word with you. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in James. Uh, so you can go ahead and flip there and get there. Um, chapter 1 this morning. Um, last week we started a series called Unplugged, and today we're going to kind of continue on that, and I'm so excited about this. It's been a series that I've been thinking about for a couple weeks, and maybe for some of you, you're like, that's a weird name, Unplugged. Uh, so today I'm going to teach you how to plug in stuff. Um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's very practical, right? We build churches on that now. Um, we're going to talk about um, this idea of, of being unplugged, and it comes from a verse that we read in Ephesians 4 a couple weeks ago, and it said that we should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, this idea that we should walk or live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I think when we hear that so many times, because um, it, it doesn't just happen there, it's in Ephesians, it's in Philippians, I think it's in Colossians, kind of the same wording, and Paul uses it a lot. What we think of is not this idea that we should um, we should uh, walk in a manner worthy. What we think of when we hear that word worthy is that we have to live in such a way that we can earn the grace that God has already freely given. We're like, oh, I got to be worthy, or I got to act worthy, or maybe I got to pretend to be worthy. That we have to live in such a way we can earn the grace that God has already freely given, or we decide that we have to somehow pay Him back for the goodness that He's given us, right? And that's not actually what this means at all. It's not saying that we, have to, that we have to earn something or attain something or be something. What this word worthy is, it's this image of scales. Not like the scales you get on in the bathroom to see how much you weigh, but you ever seen Lady Justice at the courthouse, the lady in the robe, and she's got a kind of little cup scales out in front of her. What those were used for is you'd put some weight on one side and some thing on the other side, and at the end of the day, what you're hoping for is these two things would equal out, that they would, they would balance, that they would make sense. And what he's saying when he says this in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians is that we should live our life as followers of Jesus in a way that makes sense, balances out, equals up to the belief we say we have. That our belief should balance our life. If we put it on those scales today and try to equal it out, we put our belief this pretty much what we believe. So we put our beliefs on one side and that we could put our lives on the other side and the people on the outside of that looking at the scale would say that, I can see that. Now see the problem is, is we don't see that very often, right? We are really good in here about saying amen. That's great. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. Uh, I would feel like we were not here if we didn't. Uh, and we're really good at, at kind of coming along and reading Christian books and we're listening to Christian music and we're Maybe even reading the Bible if you're really rebellious. Um, but we're not really good at connecting those two things. And the problem is, is we've somehow unplugged, right, our life from our belief. We treat them like they're two separate things, and that's not how it's meant to be. And this morning we're going to talk about that in James. Um, I love this book, by the way. Uh, John does too. So me and John share a mutual love for the book of James. Um, I love this book. It's a book written by James. It's cool. It's deep. Uh, deep theological truths this morning. Thank you. Um, it's a book written by James, but it's not James the apostle or the disciple. It's actually James the half-brother of Jesus. Now, the cool thing to me about James the half-brother of Jesus is while Jesus was alive on this planet, James did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. Isn't that crazy? 
grew up with him 33 and a half years, like all the way down through there till the moment he was crucified and then later on after that, he didn't believe Jesus was the son of God. Now you might be like, how do you, how do you not believe that? He did miracles. Well, that's cool. Some of us don't believe it and he did miracles, so that's amazing. Um, how do you not believe that? He could, he could like talk to dead people and they would get up and walk out of tombs. How do you not believe that? Don't knock James too much, right? If your brother walked up to you today and they're like, hey, I just want you to know I'm the son of God, um, you probably would have a hard time with that too because you know the parents, or at least you think you do, right? So James didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God up until after, here's the cool part, the resurrection. Something happened, right, after the cross that changed James' mind and kind of brought him to the, oh, I can see that party, and it was the resurrected, seeing the resurrected Savior. He was there, his brother was killed, he'd seen it, um, and then after seeing that, coming back to life, man, that, that's a game changer. And in that moment, seeing the resurrected Jesus, James' life changed forever. Not only did he become a follower of Jesus at that point in time, um, he eventually became the leader of the church at Jerusalem. Took him a long way, right? I don't believe the whole time you're alive, now I believe, to now I'm a leader of the church of Jerusalem. And then beyond that, to write this book, which is probably the first letter written in the entire New Testament. That's cool. To me, that's really cool. Because what it means is you can never be too late to the party for God to use you, right? right. 33 and a half years seeing Jesus and saying, I don't believe that you're crazy, man. Quit telling people you're the son of God. They're going to kill you. Um, 33 and a half years of that. And then after the resurrection, he's like, okay, I can see it now. And then Jesus still uses him. So I just want to say that today for somebody, because maybe somebody's been hanging out for 33 and a half years, and you're like, well, I've been around church, and I've seen the church stuff, and I still just don't get it. And, and I want to say that God can still use you after he changes you. It's never too late. And James is that story. Um, but this letter was written by James to the, the, the church, the church at Mass. It says even at the first verse that he wrote this, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Now, the 12 tribes of the dispersion, he's talking to the Jewish people, but he's not talking to Jewish people in mass. He's talking to these new Jewish Christians, these people who have come out of Judaism to be followers of Jesus. And this letter deals with how do we live out this new faith that we have found? How do we live out our lives as followers of Jesus? Something we would count as spiritual maturity. That's cool because we need that this morning. Because um, these are all people he's writing to who have heard the story of Jesus and prayed some prayer and given their lives to Jesus. And now there's more instruction, right? I think all of us kind of get dropped off in church somewhere at the altar. We sit in church and we're like, oh man, I need the cross, I need the cross. And then one day God opens our eyes and we come, we get saved, and then we get left there. I grew up in a church like that. Love that church, not knocking that church. Spent 11 years there, found Jesus there, so it can't be all bad. But it, there was never any growth after that, right? Went to another church after that, same, not really any growth. Because what we want to talk about most of the time, and I love it, is the cross and the tomb, but... That's not all God has for us. There's not just this idea that I'm going to save you and I'm going to leave you till you die or the resurrection happens. And that's what James is getting at this morning. And he starts out in 19, chapter 1. He says, my dearly loved brothers. He's writing to the church, people that would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. People that would profess, I've made a decision. Check the little box on the card. I'm saved, right? Church word. Um, my dearly loved brothers. And he says this, Understand this, know this, everyone, that's you, right? Amen. 
This is for you, not for the lost people out there, not for Joe Bob across the street, not for that guy you're mad at. This is everybody. Everyone must be quick to hear. That's what he's saying to the church. Everybody must be a good listener. Man, life-changing. We don't have to read anymore. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Um, Everyone must be a good listener. Man, if we could grab that this morning, it would be like transformational in the church, right? Everybody in the church must be a good listener. In other words, your first line of defense is to listen. That's what he's saying. Number one, got a job for you. Everyone in the building, that's you and you and you and you. Everyone must be a good listener. Shut your mouth. That's what he's saying. Thank you, James. Um, I like to edit these in my own words sometimes. Everyone must be quick to hear. And he says this, slow to speak. Here he goes again. Shut your mouth. He says it twice, right? This for us. Um, slow to speak. In other words, you should listen a whole lot better than you should talk. He's talking about calculated speech right here. It's one of those things where it's weird. We don't do this much, but you actually think before you say stuff out loud. <laughs> you like have a plan before you open mouth hole, right? It's a, good, it's a good quality to have because a lot of us, we're really slow to speak, and then we get defensive, and then we get angry, and then we blast the person. And he's saying, everybody, that's you, right? Everyone must be quick to hear, close mouth, open ears, slow to speak, keep the mouth closed um, until you've thought about what you're going to say. And then he says, and slow to anger. Don't just haul off and blast somebody because it seems like a good idea. He's saying, don't get mad fast. Thank you, right? Hallelujah, right? That's great. It's amazing. And he's talking to everybody. Now, some of us don't have that problem. Some of us do. So this morning, if that's not you, uh, hold on a second. We're going to get there. Um, but, but he says this, and then he, he goes along behind it, and he says in 20, for man's anger, that's us, does not accomplish or fulfill or show God's righteousness or God's goodness. In other words, what he's saying here is, um, this is just an example, brothers. Brothers, listen up. Everybody must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here's the reason. For, God, for man's anger does not accomplish or show God's righteousness. That seems very practical for us this morning, right? That's amazing. That if some of us could get that, that would change everything. But what he's saying this morning is not just, hey, this is the deal. What he's doing is he's showing us that we take our belief, right? And we plug our life into that belief. This is just an example. That's why he gives us this very practical reason at the end of it. Here's what I'm saying. Close your mouth. Think about what you say before you speak. And don't get angry. Here's the reason. Because when you get angry and you haul off and blast somebody and you yell and you shout and you're a grumpy person and you're hateful and you're, you're always doing these things, that doesn't show people this God you say you believe in. See, what we say all the time is God is good, right? I believe that. With everything in me, I believe God is good. I believe bad things happen, but at the end of the day, God is good. That, that sometimes we go through stuff, but God is good, right? And even the bad things, that's what the Word of God says, are used for the good of those that love him. That's what the word says. I believe that, and I would say that. I would say God is merciful, right? 
God, God is merciful. He forgives those of us who need it, which is everybody. God is love. He loves us even when we're sinners. I say all those things about God, and I would, I would tattoo that on my body. I would hang that up on a billboard. I would, I would share that with people. If somebody said, hey, what do, what do you know about God? I would tell them those things. I would tell them some more things, but I would tell them that. But what he's saying is it's really hard to be like God is love and then blast people, isn't it? Oh, I'm a Christian, and God loves everybody. I don't, though. Oh, God is, man, joy of our salvation, right? We're so happy because we're saved, but I'm miserable. And I'm negative, and I hate everything, and there's never a good day, and every day is filled with, like, thunder and lightning, like all those days. But, but God, man, there's joy in salvation. What he's saying here is to the church, hey, I know you probably haven't thought about this before, but it actually matters how you live. Because we have this message, right, where we say God is love and God is good and God is merciful and he is peace and he's all these things. And, and, and it's really hard to say that out of a mouth that's unhappy and hateful and doesn't love anybody. It's really hard to say that out of a mouth that's negative. And that's, that's what he's saying here to us. It's not just, hey, I'm trying to put some rules on you, but let me tell you why we should act this way. Because here's what you're showing people when you don't. Now, you can take this and you can apply it to anything, Right? Anything, anything in here. He's saying, hey guys, it matters while we live because people see God through the lens of you. And, and that's why he's writing this. And here he says in 21, because of that or therefore, every time we see therefore, it's because of what's coming on before it. Therefore, because people see God through the lens of you, rid yourselves or ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. What we're saying here is God's, people see God through you, through your life, how you live, what you do. You say you believe this thing, and if you say you believe this thing, there's something that comes along with that. You believe God is love. There's something that comes along. There's a response to that. You believe God is forgiveness. There's a response to that. You believe God is merciful. There is a response to that. Is what he's saying. Therefore, because of that, rid yourselves of all moral filth. Now, morality, right, it's this, it's this idea of good and bad. It's this idea that, that, that some people are good people and some people are bad people, and we have, like, levels of morality or, like, that's a really immoral thing and that's just a kind of immoral thing, and I do that, so it's not that bad, right? Like, levels of morality. We view, actually, morality through our lens because if we do it, it's not that immoral. So we all have varying ideas of immorality. If it's, a, if it's a sin I deal with, it's not that bad. If it's the one I don't deal with, I'm going to blast you. All right, you're horrible. You're going to hell. And he says, because God is good and God is forgiving and God is love and God is holy because God is righteous, because God is all those things, there's a response. And the response to that is to rid ourselves or get rid of. It's an action thing. It didn't say pray about if God really wants this to be removed from your life, Right? And put all the weight on you. God, I'm not going to do anything to change anything, and, and I'm going to still act the same way. But if you have a problem with this, if it's something you really don't like, then you just cut it out. Take the desire away. It doesn't work that way, by the way. There's this action word where he says to, to rid yourself, to do some work. That it is actually work. Here's a cool thing. It's actually work to follow God and to be more like God. Yes. I said it. You do not become perfect, in case you didn't notice, when you come down here the first time. 
There's no magical thing, portal transformation that happens in this moment. I've seen this place when it was a bar. There's nothing special here. There's like a logo, Rising Moon Saloon right in here. There's nothing special here. And there's not something that happens when you come down here that transforms you to, I'm an evil, immoral person into, oh, I'm good and everything's perfect now. I'm going to behave and I'm going to, there's nothing that happens there. You give your life to Jesus. You make the decision, I will follow you. That's what happens there. But then you have to follow through with follow, right? And he says, in this moment, just in case we didn't get that by now, there's actually some action that comes through this. We have this action that we can join with the Holy Spirit in, and it is ridding ourselves of all moral filth, or this idea in us that there is bad in us, and evil excess. Not only are you evil, newsflash today from the Word of God, you're evil. I am too, it's okay. We're in a club together, it's called church. Um, (laughs) But we have excess evil. We are more evil then we think we are evil. There's mounds and mounds of evil that's running over. We're like a big garbage can of evil and it's falling out the sides. It's peppy today. Um, But it's a reality. You're not good, I'm not good. But we have this opportunity through the cross of Jesus to be set free from our sins and we have this opportunity to take all that evil to the trash and get rid of it. But it, but it, it's a thing that we do. And you look at that and you're like, well, how do I do that? Some of you aren't sold on the fact you're evil yet, um, but you are. Um, it says the heart is deceptively wicked. Google this later. The heart is deceptively wicked, uh, which means your heart tells you you're good, but it's lying to you because you're not. Um, you're evil, maybe not compared to me, but compared to God. Um, and it's hard to get rid of that. Amen? Anybody tried that? Some of us gave up on that because we didn't think that was a possibility. It's still a possibility today. It wouldn't be here. Some of us gave up on that. But it says we can do it. It's hard, yes. I'm not there. I'm still a giant trash can full of evil. I may have taken some stuff off, but I'm still there. It's hard. But we can do it. And it says, here's how you do it, because he knew we were going to ask, right? It says, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. Now this save you tagged on the end here is not save you like I'm not going to hell, save you. We talked about a couple weeks ago, salvation is a three-step process, right? It's like a three-step plan. There's like salvation, the moment of I give my life to Jesus. It's the first part. And then there's this idea of glorification at the end, and that's when we leave this earth, we go to be with him, and it's I'm going to at that moment be saved eternally so i have been saved salvation and one day in the future i will be saved but there's a thing there's a process in the middle and it's what james is talking about in this letter and it's called sanctification it's this process of being saved daily or saved from myself i'm being made to look more like jesus that that big giant trash can full of evil can actually be emptied See, at the moment I'm saved, I'm saved, from the, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. And now, when I said that prayer, I'm not trying to talk you out of salvation today. When I said that prayer and God saved me, I was saved from the penalty of sin, which means I'm free from that. I don't have to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven, right? 
And one day out there in the future, I'm going to be saved from the, uh, the presence of sin. I'm going to leave this planet that's full of sin, and I'm going to go be in heaven, which there is no sin, right? But today, we can be saved from the power of sin. That those chains that sin has on us, those can fall away. They can fall off, and that's what it's talking about, but humbly receiving this implanted word. Now, in John 1, it does talk about how Jesus is the word, right? Says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, in case you didn't get that the first time through. That's him. And we do, at the moment of salvation, receive Jesus, right? Humbly receive the implanted word. But today, also, we can receive the implanted word, and this is, right, the word of God. We would call this Bible God's word. And it can be implanted or attached, or it can become part of us. Now, this is the part that's weird for us. We know that we said a prayer and, and, we, and we got saved and we know that one day we're going to go up into heaven but this middle part is the part we're unsure about and what he's saying is even today in this moment we can receive the implanted word. The, this word can become part of our lives so that it actually can equal up to or make sense with how we live. That we can take our belief and we can plug our life into that belief. There's a possibility for that. How do you do that, Right? Because that's the next step. Because I've read the word. I've read it several times. I, I'm trying to get through it again. Um, I, I read the word. And I believe the word. Like it's, it's here in my head. I, I know what I believe. But how do, I, how do I make that part of me? How do I connect those two things? How do I plug in the cord, right? And here's the trick. Humbly. This is to humbly receive, humbly receive or take the implanted word as part of us this word humbly is a is a word when used with people is to think of other people as more important than yourself it's not it's not thinking of yourself as less and disgusting and horrible and evil and immoral although we are those things but it's thinking of this word as something more high than us thinking of the word as is a higher authority than us and what it means by humility is to put yourself your life your want your needs all those things under the word this is the part we miss. This is the extension cord, right? This is the I can't reach the plug. Because most of us don't look at this as something more important than ourselves. How do I know that? Because we don't read it. It can't be more important than you if Facebook is more important than it. That's not how that works. It can't be more important than you if TV shows, ow, that's me, is more important than it. It can't be more important than you if my love story that I read every single day is more important than it. It can't be more important if the phone conversations I'm having are more important than it. It can't, it can't work that way. See, the truth of it is to humbly receive this implanted word is to look at this as the supreme thing. There's like God and Jesus writing in the word. Like they're the supreme thing over your life. But the vessel to get closer to them is this. That this should actually be a passion in us, that this word and what it says, not just to believe it, but to do it, should be something that becomes more important than us. And when, when that happens, we, we say, okay, I, I want this, but this is not in accordance with the word, and the word is the authority. Oh, this feels good, right? Sin, just put it there. This feels good, right? But the word is the authority. The word is the, is, is the dominant. The word is the thing. And if I'm going to bow to the word, and I'm going to receive the implanted word, and I'm going to be sanctified. If I'm going to be saved today from the, from the power of sin, the only way to do that is to make the word the authority over my life. What it says has to rule over my wants and my needs and my desires. 
What it says has to rule over the pleasures and the things that I think I have to have. What it says has to be the authority. And what that means is, A, we've got to read it. It's that important. But then we have to do it. See, the reality of it is most of us make Christianity about what we know and what we memorize, and that is not sanctification. We make Christianity about how many Bible studies we can get through a year, and that is not sanctification. See, because in reality, yes, God gives us this word, and he means for us to study it and to know it and to love it. He does. He means for us to interact with this word, but the only way to interact with this word is not just to know it, but to do it. The Bible was not meant to be read and studied. It was meant to be experienced. And that is sanctification. You don't believe me. 22. Let's just read it. But be learners of the word, right? Anybody got that translation? If so, throw it away. It's wrong. But be studiers of the word. You can, you, can, you can throw that one away too. It says, but be what? Doers of the word. That's not a Greek error, by the way. That's what that word really meant. But be doers of the word. To, to do the word is the goal. Not to know simply the word or to study simply the word or to, to, to get some big theological degree. That's not the goal. The goal is to do the word. It says be doers of the word and not hearers only. In other words, I don't care what your bookshelf at home looks like, says God. I don't care how many concordances you have at home says God if you know two verses and you live two verses you're responding to what you know you can know the whole thing and do none of it by the way you can memorize the whole thing and do none of it by the way and can I just say that is not pleasing to God He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he adds this, Al, deceiving yourselves. Now, deceiving yourself, some of you jump automatically to, oh my gosh, I'm not saved. I'm just so I'm horrible. I just need to, I need to pray. Just shut up so I can pray. Like, I need to get there. Like, some of you jump there, and I'm not trying to push you there, so don't hear that. Because deceiving yourself, yes, can look like that. Oh, but I go to church. Right? We read it last week. Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, but I listen to Christian music. Well, that's great. Depart from me, I never knew you, right? Oh, but I have all the Bible concordances and I I bought all of Lifeway's books on how to live the Christian life and I read 92% of them. And he can still say out of that, depart from me, I never knew you. He can do that. Because it's, it's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. But this deceiving yourself can also be Oh, I'm a good person. I have it together. I'm going to church. I'm living the Christian life. I'm pleasing to God. I try not to cuss too much. Like, I do the stuff. Well, that's great. I'm really good at doing the not do stuff. Pretty good at that stuff. The do stuff is the stuff I have trouble with, right? 
the inaction stuff is good because I can just sit on the couch and chill. Like the do stuff is the hard stuff. Like uh, Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples. That's a do stuff. I've memorized that. I can tell you what chapter it's in. I can't tell you the verse, but I can later if I Google it. But I, I can tell you that. Right? Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them everything I've commanded you. I can rattle that off. I have that memorized. It's in Matthew 28. But how many disciples did I make this week? See, I know it, right? I've memorized it, right? Studied it. I, I can preach it. I could do it right now. But how many disciples did I make this week? And here God says, out of that, be doers of the word. Not doers of the stuff you're comfortable with or doers of the stuff you like or doers of the stuff you have time for, but doers of the word, the whole thing. And he says, if you don't, you're deceiving yourself. I'll stand here and I'll say 100% without a doubt, if you killed me right now, I would go to heaven. But man, I would have missed something along the way because I deceive myself into, well, I preach, that's telling people. I preach, that's making disciples. And he would say, but what about like when you were at the store yesterday? And he looks back at us and he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he says, deceiving yourself in 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, we could all raise our hands, right? He is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. If anyone is a hearer of the word only and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his face in a mirror. What's a mirror used for? To see your reflection, to see what you really look like, right? To see who you really are. The mirror does not lie, by the way. You, unless you're a funhouse mirror, like they, they tell you exactly what you look like. It's not one of those things where you can like, oh, the camera makes me look whatever. No, the mirror is truthful. You look exactly like what you see in the mirror. I wish it wasn't true, right? But when you look in a mirror, there's like an idea that happens there. Mirrors were invented, right? So you can look at yourself and you can try to make this part look better in that part. That's why we have like hair stuff, right? You can do some of that. You got makeup. I don't do that, but some of you do. Um, so we have those things. I can, I can look in there and I can be like, oh, those are not the same color. I need to change that. Or, oh my gosh, my eye looks like it's bulging out of my head today. I need to do something about that. Or I should get a haircut. That's what mirrors are for. They tell you the truth about what you look like. It's a, it's a reflection. He says, anybody that is a hearer of the word but not a doer is like a man looking in a mirror. In other words, I can see through the lens of the Bible who I really am. I can, I can see when I hear the word who I really am. I, I know, right, some of us don't know we're a big trash can full of evil because we've not read the Bible. And I can look in that and I can see God and see who I am. I see how good he is and how holy he is and how righteous he is and how loving he is. I can look in there and I can see all those things. And, and when I see him, I should get a clear reflection of me. And see, when I look at that, I see that I'm not really any of those things. But see, the problem comes when we're just a hearer and we're not a doer because 
If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his own face in the mirror in 24. It says, for he looks at himself, he sees what he is, he knows the truth about his heart, and it says he goes away, walks away, and right away forgets what kind of man he was. In other words, I look in that mirror, the lens of the Bible, I look and I see who I really am, and in, in seeing that, I walk away and I don't change anything. It doesn't make sense, right? What, is, what else is the mirror for? The Bible is not a picture. It's a mirror. When you walk up to a picture, you have this opportunity to look and see and leave, right? I can appreciate and I can view and I can analyze and I can, I, I can, I can love, I can, I can enjoy, but then I can leave. The Bible is not the same. And when I walk to the Bible, I can do all the same things. I can look at God and I can love God. I can look at God and I can enjoy God. I can look at God and I can have a passion for God. I can look at God and I can see him. But there's always some response required by the mirror that's not required by the picture. When I go to the mirror at the house and it's like, oh, my hair looks ridiculous. Some of you don't think I use a mirror. But I'm like, oh, my hair looks ridiculous. There's a response to that, right? Either A, go get a haircut, or B, find some hairspray or something, man, because I don't know what's going on today. Just get back in bed and try again, right? <laughs> I don't know where you found that shirt and those pants, but they're like two different colors, and they don't go together, and you need to fix that. It doesn't make sense to walk to the mirror and see, oh, I'm a mess, and I am horrible, and I look a fool right now, and just walk out away from that, does it? The picture, I can do that. The mirror is different. He says, anybody walking up to the Bible and who looks at it and who sees it, you can enjoy it, but do you respond to it? You can be passionate about it, but do you respond to it? Oh, you can study it, but do you respond to it? And if not, you've got the purpose wrong. This is in 24... For he looks at himself, he goes away, and right away he forgets what kind of man he was in 25. But the one, this is a different breed right here. But the one who looks intently, stares with a purpose, would be the idea of that word. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. Can Can I just crash some of your parties right now? Some of you are, oh, he's a legalist. He's trying to make me do this thing, and he's, he's trying to, this is not in here. No, hey, we're reading it right out of the book, so say what you want to, but it's really in here, right? You have a copy. If you don't, I can show you the app on your phone later. It's really there. Or, oh my gosh, these laws are so oppressive. God's just trying to ruin all my fun. He's trying to screw up my life. He's trying to take all the stuff I like away. No, he's not. It is a law, Yes. And laws are meant to be followed. Can I just put that out there? I'm not ashamed of that. Some churches have turned away from that. And they're not preaching the whole Bible because of that. Oh, we just want to hear love and mercy and grace. Well, that's good. Love and mercy and grace get you started. But what's going to sanctify you? What's going to change you? What's going to change them? The reason churches are not effective is because churches have left this. It is a law, and God means for you to follow it, but it's not an oppressive law. It's a law of freedom. 
See, the reality of it is today, you have a master. I don't care who you think your master is, but you have a master. You serve somebody, and that's either God or, or Satan. Oh, I do what I want to, and I'm good with God. No, you do what you want to, and you're living in sin, and it's a horrible idea because at the end of the day, you're the one that gets burnt. Because you're choosing to serve sin, and the end of sin is death. Sin always leads to death. Maybe not spiritually. Maybe, maybe God has your soul, but you're going to die. It's not going to be pleasant. God didn't put laws on this place to hurt us and oppress us. It's to, it's to help us. And this law, this book, is a law of freedom. This is the law that sets us free from the other master. If I've got to serve somebody, I want to serve the good one, don't you? If I've got to serve somebody, I want to serve the one that loves me, don't you? If I've got to serve somebody, I want to serve the one that makes me like, feel loved and appreciated and wanted and, and, and cared for. I want to I serve the one that's going to that's, that's gonna be on my side, on my team. I don't want to serve the one that's coming with a whip. And this law, this book, it's the one that sets us free from the evil master, Satan, and all that penalty and brings us into a new camp. And it is a perfect law. It's a good law. It's a holy law, but it's a law of freedom. We don't need chains in the kingdom of God because if you're really following God, there's no chain that has to keep you there. Amen. If you really have a passion for God, there's no chain that has to keep you there because you want to be there. This is the one who looks intently into this perfect law of freedom. And then it goes on and it says, and perseveres in it. Why would you need perseverance? Because it's hard. It's hard to follow the law of God. Can I be honest with you? It's easy to live in the world and to do your own thing. It's easy to sin. Your body craves it. It wants it. It's easy. It's hard to not do it. But I would rather fight against death than lean into it. This is the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts. It says this person will be blessed in what he does. Here's the reality today, church. It's not for most of us a decision of do I want to go to heaven or hell today. Maybe for somebody it is. Maybe it's a, oh yeah, I'm lost and the reason I feel like a ball in high weeds in the church and the reason I don't know what's going on and the reason I'm so trapped in sin is because I'm still dead and I need Jesus. Maybe for some of us that's the reality, but can I say for 99% of us, because I don't know if there's any doers in the room. Actually, I don't know if there's any full-on doers I've ever met in my entire life. I know some partial doers, some I'm comfortable with it doers, Right? Some I'm going to be moral doers. I've never seen unchained. I'm just following God because I have a passion for him and I'm trying to eradicate anything that holds me back. I've never seen that kind of a doer. And for 99% of us today, it's not a decision of do I want to go to heaven or hell. It's am I passionately in love with a Savior? And do, and do I or am I willing to respond to that? 
Am I willing to continue when it gets hard? Am I willing to like look into this book? Can I just be honest? I know the radio is more entertaining than Chronicles. I know the TV is more entertaining than Leviticus. But it does not negate our responsibility to love this book. And at some point in time, we have to decide, am I going to be a doer or am I going to be a hearer? Am I going to read it and absorb it and do it because I love it? Or am I going to come to church because I feel like I have to? Because in reality, today what we're doing is not deciding, do I want to read the word or or do I not? Or do I want to follow the word or do I not? It's do I want to be plugged into the power of God and make a difference in the world? Or would I rather just come and sit because it's easier? See, the reality of it today is God has amazing plans for our lives. The church, read Acts. I've been reading Acts this week. Do you know how amazing that book is? How many people have you seen ever act like anybody in that book? None. You know why? Because they were plugged into the power of God. It's not a cutoff for us today. It's not like Acts happened and then the church started and then we just have to come and sit here. No, God would let us live in that book. The word is meant to be experienced, not read and studied, memorized. God would let us live in that book. The truth is we just don't want to because it's hard. God has amazing, wonderful plans for the church. Read, read the book, right? The church is his tool to bring the world to him. The church is not a building. It's not a doctrine code. It's a group of people who see the word and respond to the word. And God would let us be part of that story if it was important to us. And he's saying today, you want to experience the blessings of God. You, know what, you want to know what it looks like to live in the power and the presence of God. Step into the word. Step into the word. You, you know what separates me from Abraham? He followed God and responded. It's not just the name. You know what separates me from Elijah? In the word of God, it says that he was a man just like us. Made with flesh just like us. You know what separates me? He looked at God and he responded. Peter, Paul, James, John, Bartholomew, the difference, they looked at the word and they responded. They didn't have time to memorize it and sit in church because they knew the stakes were too high. We've lost that. And today God's saying, come back into that. Come back into that and see what I'll do. Man, you think TV's entertaining. You just step into the story of God and see how entertaining it is. You just stop reading and studying and ex- you start experiencing the word of God. And I'll do some things you've never seen before. God's creative. He doesn't have to reduplicate stuff that happened before. He can create new stories today. But if he's going to do that, we have to say, God, your word is supreme. It is more important than me. It's more important than my wants. It's more important than my needs. It's more important than my desires. And I bow to it because I bow to you. Let's pray.